Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we check in with Doug Brown. We preview this week's Blue Bomber game against the Montreal Alouettes heading into the bye week. And as well, we look back at the incredible career of Serena Williams as she's announced she's about to retire. We'll talk to Mark Hart of Tennis Manitoba on the podcast. 48 hours from now, there'll be a flyover at IG Field, part of Armed Forces Appreciation Night as the Blue Bombers host the Montreal Alouettes in a rematch of last Thursday's game. And the man providing color commentary for the action is Doug Brown, who joins us now, Canadian Football Hall of Famer, Blue Bomber legend. Doug, how are things up at the cottage? (laughs) Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good. I haven't been here very long, but uh, Manitoba summers, hard to beat those, especially if you get an opportunity to be at a lake. It's uh, pretty outstanding stuff. On that topic, I know a number of players are looking to get away, I'm sure, after Thursday's game is done. In your experience, obviously, when you played, there weren't three bye weeks, but in your experience, heading into that bye week, was it harder to focus on the game or is it easy to just say, you know what, we'll think about that. And then once the final horn sounds, you're thinking about that plane ride home. Yeah. You know, it really depended on what, what coach I was playing for. So uh, with Dave Ritchie, it was uh, never hard to uh, not stay focused on the task because he promised us he would cancel the bye week if we did not win the game before by the bye week. So that was very uh, was a very easy way to stay focused and on topic uh, when you were uh, playing your game before the bye week because uh, I'm not sure if he ever did, but he certainly always told us if we didn't win before the game before we go away, he'd, he'd know that we were thinking about our bye week, so he would uh, make sure he canceled it. So I think for the most part, we uh, made sure we won that game. But it is uh, it can be a distraction, um, especially you know it's in an era where weeks are exactly the same for players and, and they know, you know, they're getting the time off win, lose or draw. And, uh, you know, guys can be figuring out what they're going to do to maximize their time and booking flights and talking to people. And, and it can, uh, it can be a little bit of a uh, attention grabber. It can take your focus, steal your focus away from your, your game prep and your, your planning. But, you know, these things, I think most of these rules are kind of uh, not scenarios that this football team really has to contemplate with they're they're two-time great cup champions they're nine and oh right now uh, i think they've got this situation figured out i think if it was a younger team or a new regime or a different head coach or a different organization i think these would be you know very uh, uh big concerns for a team going into uh a game before a bye week but the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, it's just, you know, they've, uh, what they've accomplished, their culture is, uh, is pretty bulletproof. And I, I really don't think this is going to be a concern for this team going into this game, whether they'll be distracted or not, or concerned with other things. On the topic of Dave Ritchie wanting to cancel bye weeks, is that allowed? Yeah. Like the CBA wouldn't allow that, right? Uh, well, uh, well he, he basically would just be scheduling practices, right? Like, it's not like he would schedule a game for us, but he was like, oh, yeah, those seven days or six days we're giving you guys off, you're having practices. You know, he'd put practices right in the middle of them or or throughout the entire thing, depending on what football team we were and, and how we were doing. So um, I don't think you can do that anymore, but certainly when I started in my career in the CFL, the, the head coach had, uh, uh, you know, it was uh, – uh, a bye week was uh, a luxury that we were 
uh, allowed to partake in only if we were a good football team and, and he didn't think that we needed the practice. So I, I loved, uh, you know, the different ways Coach Ritchie had to uh, make us stay on task, that's for sure. Because things have changed a bit in 20 years. So. Yeah, yeah they have. They're from 2001 to 2020, uh, yeah, the rules are a little different. If you uh, cancel the players by week, you might get in a lot of trouble. But as you mentioned, I don't think there's any issue with this team and, and looking too far ahead. I mean, we the, the question's been asked by various reporters of Mike O'Shea over the, the, the last number of weeks because they're the last team to get a bye. They've played a lot of road games. They've had these short weeks. And every time someone asks O'Shea about the schedule, he just says, eh, that's the schedule. We're prepared. We know what we're doing. And, I mean, the results have been good. They're winning every football game they have. Yeah, I mean, literally on a week-by-week basis, you know, our, our talking points are, okay, what are the considerations? How could they possibly lose? What could the factors be? But it's always remote, and it's, you know, and they just find a way, and they figure it out, and they win regardless of what we put in front of them or what we say. Okay, the factors are mounting up. You know, they got a bye week coming up. they got injuries. They're playing a team that's, you know, no one's too excited about or worried about in terms of being a contender in the CFL. And it just doesn't matter. You know, week by week, we, we try to come up with ways or possibilities that they could somehow lose the game and they just don't. And they just haven't. So um, after beating Montreal on the road, it just doesn't seem likely that they're going to drop one at home in front of uh, what should be a, a monstrous crowd of rabid Blue Bomber fans. So I just, I, I don't see it happening, but it's nice to talk about the what ifs and, and the possibilities. They're just becoming more and more remote as this team rolls through the 2022 season. Well, I, we had this last year too, where every week goes by and it's just trying to figure out ways to, to cover the team because <laughs> they just keep winning and winning and winning. It's like, well, we could ask you, we know you're not satisfied because you're never going to be satisfied. But yeah. they just kept on winning, and and with this season now, a chance to go ten and zero heading into the bye week, and then they have a lot of rest down the stretch. They got big games too. They got Calgary. They got Saskatchewan still three times in September yeah, and BC. alone. Yeah, and BC has been cooking out west, so yeah. there's still a, a yeah. lot of big games on the schedule. I don't think they're going to go eighteen and zero, but nonetheless, the the table's there to have a, a really good record. Is there a potential, Doug, that? because they've still got three bye weeks and they're probably going to have, you know, a, a game or two that doesn't matter. And then potentially a bye going into the West final. Could they be too rested at some point? <laughs> well, you know, some teams feed off of the adversity, right? Like in the chaos and the, the deck getting stacked against you and the pressure mounting and all these variables being thrown at you that are, are, are negative and, and take away from your preparation. You don't have your best players and, and, you know, you're playing on a short week and, it's uh, some, some teams just, they eat that up. Right. And then all of a sudden things get spaced out and there's time and there's time off. And yeah, I mean, I guess that could be our next variable to talk about, about potential ways uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers could lose because things got too easy for them. Right. And the schedule opened up too much, giving them too much free time. But I just, I don't know. I think these things are pretty remote with this football team, but it'll be something else. You know, it does get – I do feel bad sometimes in the post-game show because our questions are pretty much fundamentally come down to us saying, so how good is this player or how good is this team? And, there's, you know, we almost ask it every single week because uh, the guys are just playing so well and the team is doing so well. So 
it, it gets to be a, a little bit much. We, we're trying to find different ways to ask the same questions, but it's a good problem to have, that's for sure, when, when you're on the verge of possibly going 10-0 and for the first time since 1960. Now, the team that went 10-0 and in 1960 did not win the Great Cup that season. They did not make the Great Cup that season, and ultimately all that matters is winning the Great Cup, of course. But in your time you know, following the CFL, watching the CFL, what team comes to mind as a comparable when you look at this current Blue Bomber team and how they just keep winning games? What team? I mean, everyone's saying what the 2005 BC Lions is is what they're trying to compare this football team to. Um, I don't know. I think they're pretty unique. Uh, I mean, we was this, what's the last team we saw win three in a row? Right, like nobody since since the uh, the Edmonton yeah, dynasty, right? Five. So yeah. it uh, it's it's pretty hard to compare these guys to to any uh, franchise. I mean, the, the players are unique. The stories are are unbelievable, and uh, it's just they're just a juggernaut right now. So I think they're pretty uh, uh, a pretty unique, and uh, I don't think there are very many comparables, uh, you know, to what they're accomplishing right now. I think it's very very few and far between. So looking at Montreal again on Thursday, a team that is two and six probably shouldn't have fired Kahari Jones. I guess there's stuff going on behind the scenes there, but the the firing has not changed anything for their on field yeah. success. They blitzed a lot in last week's game, and and you know Zach Kalaris threw three picks and fumbled as well. As a defensive yeah. player, do you like when the D coordinator calls for blitzes on two thirds of plays? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it depends what player you are. As a defensive lineman, we're not particularly fond of it because it means, you know, we're going to get picked up for the most part and some free rusher or linebacker or, or safety or somebody else is going to get the, the uh, free uh, free runs of the quarterback and, and not get picked up. So whenever you're blitzing, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like the defense saying, hey, we don't think the front four can get there, so we're going to add more people. You know, or, you know, like a five-man rush, uh, that just gives everybody a one-on-one. It's, it's, it's a lot more fun, I think, up front. But blitzing, for the most part, I like, you know, when I was a player, few and far between is, uh, is, is a good thing to do, uh, especially if you can, uh, you know, if you don't blitz all the time, then you can show them different blitzes and give them things they haven't seen before. Um, so, yeah, but... You know, Montreal throwing all that at Zach Claire, so it worked for a spell, right? So you don't you don't blame him. Uh, there was a lot of traffic in the middle of that field, and, and Zach had to process quickly, and he made some bad decisions, and they were rewarded for it. But once again, you know, 14-14 going to the fourth quarter just wasn't enough to uh, be tied with the Winnipeg Football Club in the final stanza because they scored three touchdowns from there. So, But back to your question, not the biggest fan of blitzing in, in a football game, but you got to do what works when you're playing this – this uh, wrecking crew of a, of a, a dynastic team. Absolutely. Well, we'll see what uh, Noel Thorpe and company have in store for Thursday night's game. Appreciate your time as always, Doug, and we'll see you at the game on Thursday. All right, buddy. Thank you. We'll see you there. As we talk tennis here tonight on the CGOB Sports Show with our friend Mark Art of Tennis Manitoba. Mark, uh, you enjoying the Canadian Open this week? Is that a big piece of your tennis viewing schedule it actually is and uh thanks for ruining it because i was pvring bianca's match so i uh, know i don't have well, to watch it thanks sorry <laughs> it's, it's not over yet now, you know 
I know, I know. I'm kidding. You know, I'll watch it later on. But no, definitely. You know why we watch it is uh, around home here because uh, some of the players that are playing here at the at the Winnipeg National Bank Challenger are actually on TV there at the National Bank Open. So it's just nice to see because made some connections with uh, with these players and uh, to watch them on the big screen is uh, is kind of fun. So let's just start with the challenger, Alexi Gallarno, who made the final in the Winnipeg yeah. Challenger. I mentioned he lost today to uh, Grigor Dimitrov, a pretty good player in his own right. Uh, it's the second straight year, at, at least, that a Canadian made the final at the uh, Challenger. How cool is it for, for you and the organizing committee when a Canadian goes on a run like that in your tournament? It is. It's pretty awesome. And, and, and we're waiting. We're hoping, again, we're supposed to be neutral. And, and the players, I might add, this year's crop of players was so nice to deal with. They're just classy. And uh, and that includes uh, the champion, Emilio Gomez, who, by the way, is Andres Gomez's uh, son from he won French Open back in 90, 1990. So it's really cool to have guys like that. And then when you have a Canadian like Alexi Gallano uh, make the final. And, and yeah, inside you're rooting because you're a Canadian and you want a Canadian to win your own tournament. But at the same time, you know what? It's just sit back and enjoy the tennis. And uh, it is world-class tennis. And it's, uh, I mean, this year it was quite successful. We had uh, packed houses for when Bashik Pospisil was in town. And he, he unfortunately lost his first-round match. But having him to play the standing room only was uh, was pretty cool in its own right. And having met him and... Again, like I said, just classy players this year, and he was he was right at the top as well. Like I mean, he took time to hit tennis balls with the, with the ball kids, and my son included. I was I was lucky to witness that, and he was just so nice with his time and and doing uh, talk shows, uh, ones on CGOB, and so it's pretty it was pretty cool. Now you did have a bit of a rain problem towards the middle of the tournament. How much does that send a a bit of a ripple down your spine when it's like, Oh God, we got to make up all these matches now. Yeah. I mean, you know what? It's not so bad because we spread out the matches throughout the week in case of rain. I mean, rain's going to happen, especially when you travel to other, other countries and, and, and yeah, weather's going to, weather will be there, but they, they make the schedule. The ATP does where if there is a full day of rain washes you out, uh, it's easy to make up the following day. And, and, I mean, we had an abundance of courts to use if needed. If we really got behind two days or, or three days, heaven forbid, uh, then we would be able to, to, to catch up. But, I mean, if it's a, if it's a thing where, say, on, on the final Sunday, um, if it's raining all day, we still have until Monday midday to make up that match. And if it's not made up um, or if it's not completed, uh, then basically the players split the prize money. They split the points and uh, we send them on our way to on their way to the next stop. And uh, so it's not that bad. I mean, it, it's it, it, it does cause a bit of a lack of sleep. Let's put it that way. That is my biggest stressor for the event is the weather, but I mean, it's something you can't control. So you have to just roll with it when it does happen. All in all though, successful week. Uh, I'm so happy. You know what? Very much so. I mean, especially, you know, for all the volunteers and the staff and everybody that puts the, uh, puts the event on, I mean, from the scorekeepers and, and it's just, yeah, it, I'm, I'm happy for them, especially when marquee players come in. I mean, I mentioned Bashik Pospisil coming in. Then we had Kyle Edmund, who was number 14 in the world at one point before his uh, his knee got the best of him, and he had a few surgeries, and he used our tournament as a springboard for uh, for the U.S. Open season right now. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he played back in 2012, our first version, way back when, and to have him back 10 years later is pretty cool. We talked about that, and... Uh, 
again, just to see, uh, you know, he was basically what 17, 16, 17 years old when he first came and to reconnect with him and you know, him remembering the city and all that. And, and again, you know what, for the city, we put this on for, for the community, for the kids, for the officials. I mean, on so many levels, this event checks the boxes. And I mean, for tourism Winnipeg, I think we had, what, like 30, 35 different countries represented between the players and the officials that come in from all around the world. And, and I mean, when you see faces on uh, on TV and, and, you know, the officials or lines people or whatever, it's pretty neat to, to, to have conversations because they do have great stories to tell. Well, the news of the day, Mark, is Serena Williams in a Vogue uh, magazine, first-person essay writing that her time in tennis is nearing an end. U.S. Open yeah. might be her finale. That would be a, a natural place to wrap it up, of course, the marquee event of her home country. And a yeah. thing we probably felt was coming for a long time, but how does it feel now that it's happening? You actually, when you uh, when you uh, contacted me today via text message and said, do you, do you want to speak about Serena's retirement? I'm going, what? She retired in the middle of the uh, National Bank Open. She won yesterday and she retired today. So I kind of misunderstood it and, and then kind of did some homework and understanding now that at the end of the U.S. Open, that's when she'll be doing it. And I mean, based on, uh, I watched her last night and you know, I just said to myself, I mean, she's not the, the, the athlete she once was. And uh, I'm not surprised. I, I mean, I, I'm really not surprised. I mean, with all the health issues issue she had, after, uh, you know, with, with her pregnancy and then afterwards she, she had that, that issue. She had an embolism or whatever. Maybe I, I saw that. And I mean, it's, it's pretty tough to rebound from that. And I think once you get a little bit older and, and uh, once your fitness starts leaving you, uh, you, you have to be lucky to continue. I mean, you have to be so lucky that you don't have the injuries because once you do have an injury at a later date, or at, at a later age, it is so tough to rebound. So, um, yeah, I you know I think yeah, it's time, and and you just want to remember the champion that she was, and 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 not having it handed to her when when she does lose, and uh, because it's obviously it's it's not the player she once was. Well, let's remember as well. She still she she turns forty one yeah. next month, and she's still <laughs> out there competing. She played at Wimbledon last month and played, you know, an incredible match against Harmony Tan who ended up making the fourth round, but yeah. she won her first match in over a year yesterday. And, yeah. you know, it's been a bit since she's been, you know, a, a threat at a major, she made four finals over 2018 and 2019 after having her child. Uh, in, sure. And she was pregnant in 2017 for her, for her last major <laughs> win. But just the fact that she did it for so many years and, you know, starting with her first major win at the U.S. Open in 1999, we're talking 23 years later. And in tennis, yeah. in tennis, it can come and go really quick. We've seen so many comets burn out quick in tennis mm-hmm. over the course of, of just even my lifetime. And I've been following tennis for, for less than you have. But, I mean, there's no argument. She is simply put one of the best tennis players that's ever lived. Yeah, I mean, she's transcended the sport. Honestly, her her whole family. I mean, uh, just the story with her her dad and her sister, and and I mean, where they grew up, and, and it, it's just it's it's a it's a fairy tale story, really. Like uh, how much time and effort uh, the father, who was really misunderstood, and and all that, and and to to, to have the drive that he had to uh, to to train these girls to be the champions. And again, I face a grace and all that was up against him as well. I, I can only imagine. I mean, I, you know, until you walk in that person's shoes, you know, it's easy to talk and easy to say. And, and again, she's had, I mean, we all know she she has had her outbursts, which people kind of tend to forget. And and, and you can't. I, I wish that's the one thing that scarred her uh, 
her whole career is is those outbursts that she did have at the U.S. Open, and and you know we don't need to go into that. But I, I wish that she would own it, and if she did, I think it would be even better. But she kind of like downplayed it and almost like tried to blame the other person. It's their fault, their fault. When in the end, it was hers. But um, you know that all aside, what they've done for the sport, and, and arguably, I think her and her sister. Um, for, in any sport, I, I think they've been the they've been the ones to to change women's sport, and and I mean they'll always be remembered, and and the athletes, phenomenal athletes that they both were and, and still are. Like again, like you said, forty one years old, and and still competing and beating, you know, the Spaniard last night, and and she's in the conversation. But we always expect her; she's going to win every match, every tournament she enters, and that's just not the case. And it's going to be that way, I guess, when Roger Federer comes back from his knee surgery and our expectations have to be muted a little bit and and uh and we can't expect them to win every tournament they're in and just appreciate them for the athletes that they are so yeah did you ever get to see her in person i did yeah you know what i, I saw her i was uh I, I was at indian wells and and saw her in person and uh i mean she's she's an athlete i mean that's you know that's an athlete when you when you see her and the way she hits the ball i mean the tv takes a lot away from uh from from the actual violence of the sport i mean we were witnessing it last week here at the challenger amongst the men and and serena she hits the heck out of the ball and that's just you know it's it's inspiring i mean tennis isn't for everybody it is something that is for me and and you just appreciate uh, what it takes to, to to get to her level and 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 the again like you said having a target on your back for how many years twenty over twenty years where you have to win and again being in that person's shoes until you you're there it, it's tough to describe as an athlete when when you're the hunted all the time and and um, to be able to perform match in and match out year in and year out that's phenomenal I mean there's no words for it. And you mentioned transcending sport, whether it's fashion, whether it's her, her place yeah. in pop culture with her sister, and of course, being a black woman in a sport that has been a country club sport for so long, much the way that Tiger Woods, as a black mm-hmm. man, broke through into a very white world. She comes yeah. in with her sister. Her sister was a was a winner before she was, but she just surpassed her sister in every way in terms of the stats to, mm-hmm. to break through and be a cultural icon and a, a role model for a lot of young black players and we're seeing more black women succeed on the tour, whether it's Sloan Stevens or even Naomi Osaka. There's a lot of players of color now that, you know, she, she broke down walls in a lot of ways. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that, that's exactly it. I mean, again, not only did they have the opponent to play against and they had culture, they had the world to play against because of the stereotypes and, and I'm just going to call it the stupidity back in the day, and then you know to some extent today as well that they had to face being a a, a black woman in in society, and and I that's why I give them so much credit for 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 doing that and breaking down that barrier. And she also they also broke down the barrier where tennis is, you know, it's it's viewed as an elite sport and white collar and all that, and and really it's not. I mean, I just got off the court with my with my little guy and we were playing on community courts, you know, just asphalt and chain link fence netting and all that. And, and, you know, and, and I just said to him, he asked me, why don't we go and play like on a proper court at a club? And I said, you know what, I kind of want you to learn on this and maybe you'll appreciate being on those nicer courts and, 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 you know, work your way to that. And, and, and they came from, they came from that. And, and when they did get onto the proper courts and, 
and they did it. I mean, yeah, it's expensive in, in some ways, tennis is, but they, it, it can be an affordable sport. And, and especially in today's day and age where there's uh, tennis courts, I'm going to say here in Winnipeg, there's courts in a lot of places, a lot of community centers. It's so affordable and, and they help make it affordable and, and especially showing where they came from uh, in, in the backwoods of LA and, and uh, they did it. And there's, there's the blueprint right there that, you know, it's just, if you want something, you go after it and no matter what you're up against, you can go and achieve it if you, if you want it bad enough. Well, we'll uh, have you on the show again ahead of her finale at the U.S. Open. Mark, in a few weeks to, pre- to uh, preview that hardcourt major. Appreciate your time as always, and I'll let you go uh, watch that PVR match. <laughs> thank you so much. I enjoy, and uh, take care, and we'll talk soon. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places, I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long, and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to